mentored by some of the best minds in entrepreneurship in the world, then you're listening to the right podcast, Ditch Digger CEO. We're going to be interviewing CEOs and founders who will be telling their amazing rags to riches stories. These entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success. We'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires, many who started with nothing. You're going to be mentored with golden nuggets of shared experiences from my guests, whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour. I started in the paving business right out of high school. And with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years, have generated over $1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this. If you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you want to be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and for many of the world's greatest business leaders will be revealed. Let Ditch Digger CEO mentor you. Hey, welcome to Ditch Digger CEO today. We uh, you know, we go after the best stories. We go after the best rags to riches stories, the coolest cats out there. They're our guests. And we're hosting a great guy today, guy that's starting in a, in a business that not many people are passionate about. Much like the asphalt paving business and concrete business, not a lot of passion comes from this industry usually until guys like me come along. Four guys like Mick come along. So we got Mick Friedman, our guest today. Welcome, buddy, to Ditch Digger CEO. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for being here, buddy. Yeah. So on. Uh, so Mick is 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 a is a uh, he's quite a story. You built a great company, moving it, junk and moving. Uh, you know, it's, it's a business when you know most kids go to college, they, they don't say they want to be a you know paving guy or a roofing guy or a moving guy or a junk guy, right? They they want to do the you know clean jobs and and you know jobs that are a little sexier maybe, but but Nick, in my opinion, you made moving and junk sexy uh, by by bringing a lot of you know differentiation and, and great ideas to a business. You've uh, you've created a franchise model that's kicking butt across the country. Um, I've watched it from a distance, you know, seen seen your brand and, and thought, well, what a cool brand that is. And uh, I've heard the story a little bit, but boy, we're going to hear the whole story today. So we'd love to start with, you know, just talk about, you know, kind of how it all started, Hank, and, and uh, you know, where you've gotten to today. What is your, what are your differentiators? What made you passionate about this, this jocket moving business, right? Tell us the whole story. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. We didn't grow up uh, saying, "Hey, I want to be a junk man or a moving guy" when we uh, when we graduate from college or when we finish at least high school. And uh, I was always brought up to follow that more traditional career path: work hard in school, try to get good grades, go to college, try to get a good job, try to move up that job. And it was actually the summer before our senior year of college. I was home for summer vacation. And my best buddy from high school approached me with a beat up cargo van from his mom's small furniture store that she offered to let him borrow for the summer to do odd jobs. And he was basically like, hey, we can haul people's junk away. We can move people's furniture. We can make some money. And I wasn't making any money that summer. So that sounded like a good opportunity. And uh, we actually credited his mom, not just with letting us borrow the van, but she looked at us and she goes, you guys could be like college hunks who haul junk. And we laughed at first. And we said, you know, actually, that's a, a pretty catchy name. So we made these computer printout flyers and just stuck them in mailboxes and the phone was ringing and recognized very early. That was like the light bulb moment for me. People have a need for the service and they thought the name was catchy. It wasn't, you know, what people typically associated with, you know, maybe blue collar work. And, uh, and, and so we actually wrote a business plan our senior year. We got fortunate enough to win an entrepreneurship competition, gave us a little more confidence. And then uh, we graduated and decided to start the business uh, full time. And I always tell the story 
how we had the 800 number uh, that we acquired and we put it on the back of our truck, but we still had it routed to our cell phone and people would call to complain about erratic driving and I'd be in the one in the driver's seat <laughs> apologizing, saying, no, we don't condone that type of driving. You know, we'll tell those guys to be safer on the road. Probably fired ourselves at least three or four times, you know, that first summer. Uh, but uh, but no, we, we had a lot of enthusiasm and energy around sort of the creative process uh, launching into something that was that we could call our own, uh, even though the days were long and the the work was physically grueling. Uh, I can say that uh, that that I was never more energetic uh, prior to to actually launching into the business. So uh, so the passion came more from the creative and and just uh, uh, ability to work on something that we could call our own. Uh, Do you see any models back then? I mean, Nick, you know, I think about your business. It's a, like like mine, like mom and pop industry, right? I and mean, it's not like you know people figure out how to scale these businesses like yours and mine that easily. Tell me about you know, did you see somebody doing something somewhere and say, man, you know what, we could be like that? A absolutely. So uh, you're right. It was a very fragmented industry. A lot of independence. You know, anybody can go out and get a truck and and get into this business, but we saw that there was maybe higher barriers to scale. Uh, and we learned about a company out of can Canada, actually Vancouver, Canada called Got Junk, uh, which had started franchising as well. And they were getting quite a bit of publicity, quite a bit of exposure and and they had franchised it. And that seemed at the time for us kind of a glamorized idea or notion because you heard of McDonald's being a franchise, but we never thought of you know other concepts or didn't quite understand the concepts of other franchises. And we had at that time started to burn out a little bit about you know us doing all the physical work ourselves. So we read a book uh, by Michael Gerber called The E-Myth Revisited. It's by uh, Michael Gerber and it's all about working on your business, not just in your business. So that was like the light, next light bulb moment for us where we said, hey, if we're ever gonna have another truck, let alone another location, we've gotta start documenting how we do everything. And that led us to learn about the International Franchise Association. We started going to some uh, presentations and and meetings and learned that there's all these other service-based franchise concepts beyond just junk or moving uh, that had franchised. And actually there was a, a moving company, you know, two men in a truck that had, had franchised as well. And then of course, you know, painting companies uh, and and handyman companies and and all sorts of companies that had franchised. And so we, we, we embarked down that path of franchising. I will say uh, we probably had a more glamorized view of what it would be like when we started down that path. We didn't realize it, you know, becoming a franchisor is like starting a new other business entirely. And there's a very steep learning curve. Uh, we are now in the business of uh, attracting and, and, and rewarding and selling franchises, but then also helping those franchises and making sure those franchises are successful. Uh, and you really don't hit a scale until you're at 50 or 100 locations, but, you know, uh, getting to that point is, is, is a pretty slow trudge. So, uh, again, that was sort of, you know, what inspired us and, and motivated us and, and gave us the ambition and confidence to, to run after it. So we said, Hey, maybe we weren't first to, to franchise in this space, but we could be the McDonald's to the, uh, or the Burger King to the McDonald's or the Pepsi to the Coke, you know, and, or there's always going to be a hill to Marriott. So we wanted to be that second, uh, iconic main, you know, well-known brand, uh, that, uh, that was in this space. I love it. I love it. You know, I, I've gone to the IFA a couple of times. A good friend of mine was the chair um, for for a year. Where was a year or two? They do that. Uh, yeah. Shelly's son. Do you know Shelly's son? Bright Star. Absolutely. She is. Uh, she's actually a mentor and investor in in our company at this point. Um, so absolutely, she's uh, been a. She's worked. 
she's one of my best friends. And she actually, she was a, she was a uh, HDRC CEO also. I was, I was in forum with her. Are you YPO? Yes. Yep. Yep. I'm in YPO. I, I was in YPO with her when she was, uh, you know, whatever, 5% of the size she is today. I was five or 10% of the size that I am today as well. Right. And, uh, and so I watched her, you know, grow this thing. And believe me, I, I've been around other franchises, you know, Jimmy John's a friend of mine and some others. And so I've seen franchises and what they do. I've also often thought we could do it in our industry um, and, um, you know, paving parking lots across America. And, and uh, I know it can be done. Nobody's really done it. And I just not put the effort forward. I'm, I've been just building um, locations of our own that we own, but there's no right. doubt in my mind it can be done. I, I tell you, if you can build locations of your own, I actually try to convince more people out of franchising than into franchising, just because it adds an extra layer of complexity that maybe isn't necessary if if you're able to figure out how to execute with it with a corporate operation. Uh, but I but I will also say, speaking of Shelly's son, uh, she wrote a really amazing book uh, called "Grow Smart, Risk Less" that I describe as really the blueprint of franchising. And if we had read that book when we had first started franchising, we had, would have cut out so many of the mistakes and uh, and bottlenecks that we made uh, in the early days, just because she really just lays it out in very simple, you know, path to to become a successful franchisor. She had actually started franchising around the same time we did, but very quickly became a mentor for us and then ultimately an investor in our business as well. That's awesome. I know she's an investor in your business. I, I, I think she, I know she mentioned you guys. I just didn't yeah. know she's a She's a, she's a great person, great friend of mine, and uh, and an amazing, you know, bright entrepreneur, one of the brightest entrepreneurs I know for sure. And so you're in good company, buddy. We've got some great franchisors that have been on my show. I'm not, I only interview people that I believe are top 1% in their industry. You're top one or two or three in your industry, in my opinion, which is amazing, right? And and Shelly was, Shelly's the same way. She's she's not, she's not going to be happy until she's number one in her space. And that's, yeah. that's who I am. That's who you are. And, that's, and I want more people to understand. You know that that it could be done, right? If you want, if you want to put the word forward, you want to be creative, differentiate. You can you can do it. So so more about you. Um, right? When you look at when you look at your business, there's you're you're doing both moving and junk, right? So I mean, I like the idea of you know having multiple verticals as long as I know I'm serving the same customer and and I can and I can have if I can have another tool in my toolbox, something that to, that they can they can be we can be in front of them more on, right? We not just. So we, we started out paving, but I, then I got into snow removal. So I was in front of my customers in the winter. Then I got in, and then I got into you know concrete concrete work, and I got into roofing. We got we've got thirteen companies nowadays, all all with leaders that are scaling them. Sep, mine are separate entities. Every company is a separate entity with a separate leader. But when I when I think about this, everything I do, I don't want to do it unless I can differentiate very strongly in that industry with it, with a, with a, with a with a goal. To to in, to aspire to be one of the dust in the world at that's at that industry, right? And so when I look at your business, I can think of a few things. But tell me tell me about what your strongest differentiators have been. Uh, the name is amazing. Your brand is amazing. But what are a couple differentiators you you guys have discovered to really enable your your franchise ease now to be successful market by market? Yeah. So. Certainly, at the beginning, uh, it it was very important for us to stand out uh, because it's a, a crowded, cluttered industry, and we needed to sort of stand out in a crowded landscape for people to notice us. Uh, so our name, College Hunks Hauling Junk, and then we added Moving uh, shortly thereafter. So it's and Moving, uh, and then the bright orange and green colors—they're kind of hard to miss. You know, sort of the iconic logo of the guy flexing. 
Uh, but we also realized very quickly that just having a catchy name and, and bright colors wasn't enough. It might be enough to get people to you know pay attention or maybe even pick up the phone and call us or go to our website. But if we went out and did a lousy performance when we hauled people's junk away or moved their furniture, we weren't going to get what I call the three R's, the repeat business, the referral business, and the reputation uh, biz, uh, online or, or offline. And so, or, you know, maybe I call it the reviews as you could to use another R. And so uh, uh, we very quickly started dis discussing how can we be more intentional about uh, not just the service experience of our clients, but also the cultural experience of our employees inside the organization. Uh, because we're trying to hire a different type or different caliber of mover or hauler that's going to be able to be different, more at ease, more p at peace, more trusting, more caring with our clients than, than maybe the typical one. And that took a lot of intention. And, and you know, we read a lot of books about company culture and core values. And I know it's not sort of cliche to talk about, but we came up with our our four core values that we decided were going to be non-negotiable uh, elements of of how we manage the behaviors and reward and recognize and or maybe uh, uh, remove the behaviors in our organization uh, that are preventing us from delivering a, a, a superior or different experience uh, for the team members or the clients. And and that's really- So it's, it's, so it's tough to get down. So I've gone through this this you know a few times over the last 40 years, right? We've changed it a few times that it's really tough for me to get to four, right? But you can get to three or four, the less, the better. I have friends of mine that get, they have eight or 10 Nobody's going to remember those, right? And and to live by those eight or ten, they're probably a lot of a lot of are saying the same thing anyway. So, so I I I can only get down to five, but I want to hear your four. Yeah. So so our our four are always branding, building leaders, create a fun, enthusiastic team environment, and then delight or listen, fulfill delight is what we call it. But uh, coincidentally, that's A B C D. So it's a little bit easier for people to remember. A always branding. B building leaders. C, create a fun, enthusiastic team environment, and D, delight, uh, with parentheses, listen, fulfill, delight. And so uh, the goal, you know, we're big uh, followers of the Traction book series and entrepreneurial operating system. And one of the things that they talk about is uh, core values being shared by all, not just with all. And so uh, we we beat that core value drum at every opportunity. We do a daily huddle as a company every day. We do a core value review every day. Uh, the franchise owners do a daily huddle with their crew every day before dispatching out to do the work. They do a core value review every single day that they, before they dispatch the team. Uh, we do core value awards. Uh, we do core value shout outs. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll if I see a college home truck driving down the road or stopped at a you know gas station and I'll hop out and I'll, I'll ask the guys driving if they can name me one of the four core values. Uh, sometimes they can, sometimes they can, but the aspiration is for them to all be able to, uh, or at least be somewhat cognizant or, or know that we got a, that we are a values-based organization. So, be, being that we can then deliver that experience for the clients uh, and the franchise owners in our case uh, to, to to be differentiated. I love it. Give me that last one again. Yeah, delight. D for delight, so, and then we put listen, fulfill, delight. But we, in order to make it easier to remember, A B C D. Uh, we just said delight for for D. Listen and fulfill. Yeah, delight. Okay, cool. All right, so yeah, and and that means if you're really really if you, if you just have core values, and many many you know, I I for my first fifteen years really had core values, but didn't really hire by them, didn't fire by those, didn't hold people accountable, didn't reward people by by displaying great values that that we put up there, right? Because it, it it was it was me it was my fault that that we didn't we didn't really live by it as much. 
And then years later, probably 15, 20 years in, we, we I read books on, on about how much it meant to, to live, you know, live your business, your, live your core values every day in your business. And we, we started to really talk about it more nowadays, just like you, right? We, we talk about them daily. We want our, we want our teammates to, to know about our, our core values and sign out and, and live by them. And, then, and when there's issues, when there's challenges and problems, almost every single time there, there, there's a core value to talk about, whether it's, you know, good or bad, right? right. So I love it. I mean, that's, that's, and, I, and I love what you said, you know, shared by all, not just with all, right? Yeah. And we saying, you know, we, we similar to that, another mantra we use is it's, it's not what's on the walls, it's what's in the halls, meaning it's not the, the, the image of the core values on a poster, but it's actually the people that embody uh, those core values as well. Uh, and then, you know, I think a common misconception when people start talking about core values is, uh, is that, you know, some people think whether it's employees or even business owners, and we made this mistake also, is just because you have core values doesn't mean that you don't also have accountability-based performance uh, and, and, and performance-based toughness. And so they've got to go hand in hand. My business partner likes to say, you need the right balance of Sesame Street and Wall Street. If you've got too much Sesame Street as a as an organization, you know you're basically just creating a daycare, and, and there's not going to be results as an organization. If you've got too much of a Wall Street mindset, you're going to create a lack of loyalty, passion, enthusiasm. Especially when things get challenging, people are going to jump ship instead of rolling up their sleeves and, and locking arms. Uh, and and you know the way I think of it is almost like if you've got a sports team, you've got to have a dynamic locker room, winning locker room environment. But then you've also still got to perform on the field. So we made the mistake when we started reading all these books on culture and values uh, of maybe not emphasizing the fact that accountability is part of that. You know, building leaders being one of our core values, we should have made it, and we now make it very clear that being a leader is wanting to be held accountable, is holding others accountable, holding yourself accountable. And so we had these sort of warm and fuzzy sounding core values, but then the moment we started saying, hey, you've got to hit your numbers. People were like, oh, wait a minute, this is not in line with our core values. And we're like, well, actually, this is building leaders. So um, I think it's important to to know, you know, you've got to have both. You've got to have the warm and fuzzy element that, that makes people want to feel welcome and deliver that warm service. But you've also got to, you've got to hit your metrics too. You, you, but if you've got a, a guy who's good at his metrics, but not in lo- involved in, in line with the core values, they call them brilliant jerks, right? They're really good at their job, but they're not a fit for the culture. Uh, so you got to either coach those people up or out. Uh, but then if somebody's just a great culture fit, but isn't able to do their job well, well, you know, maybe you got to coach them out or, or coach them up or put them in a different seat as well. So I think that's the dynamic, the balance that, that uh, a world-class team has to have. Yeah, absolutely. World-class is something I use always. We're going to be in any business, we're going to serve any customer, we're going to be in a world-class level. Can we do it off the bat? We, st- we start a new vertical or we do something different for our customers? Maybe not, right? But we sure the heck want to figure out who's, who is world-class at that business and how do we kick their butts in the future, right? And I, and I think that you know, world class is a is a it's a vague statement, but but if you can be top one percent in the world and whatever you do, you're world class, right? And yeah. and and that's the if you figure out who number who number one in the world is, and you can kick their butt, okay, then then you become number one. That's even cooler, right? And and with all that, right? It's a it's a matter of serving our customers better than anybody else in the world, and that makes us world class. So it's a it's a it's a win win win, right? When we can serve our customers better than anybody else in the world, they're happy. Our customer, our, our not only customers, our, our our teammates are happy because they're they're competitive. They want to do the same thing. They want to win, right? And any stockholders are happy as well because you're going to do pretty well when it comes to, when it comes to profitability. So I love the world class is is something I've been using for about 20 years. It took me a while to 
to be able to say it proudly. And it took my teammates even longer before they really believed it, right? But but again, if, if you say it, say it long enough and you live by it and you hold yourself accountable to it, you'll get there as well. well and start living, yeah, you start living up to it and or manifesting it and it becomes the reality. And if, you, and if you're telling your customers you're gonna be world-class, you better doggone well be ready, right? To serve them like nobody else so they can they can actually you know they, they can actually buy into it as well. When your customers are buying into it, they become raving customers, right? Tooting your horn, man. Now you now you've got the world by the by the by the shorts, right? So uh, I, I love I love what you're doing here. Um, when you think about building leaders for us in our businesses, we're 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 acquiring companies across the country over the next next six seven years. We're going to buy twenty to thirty companies in our space, and we're going to grow them four or five hundred percent in a short period of time. And we think we'll grow four or five hundred percent within within five years, okay? And we can do that because we have some technology like nobody else in the world in our space. But I gotta tell you, the biggest challenge we have ahead, and I'm in a leadership meeting coming up with, with 60 of our, of our teammates um, in Nashville for a couple of days. And it's gonna be all about, you know, what are we gonna do? If we're gonna grow like we wanna grow, we're gonna be the first billion dollar brand in TV parking lots, right? And to get there, we, we, we gotta have five times the amount of leaders that we have today. And to, we got great leaders, but how do we duplicate our leaders? Five, to, to have five times as many leaders as we have today in six or seven years. Now, when we quite wait, 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 partner and buy a little company, right? We're going to have a leader there. Hopefully, we can we can mentor into being, you know, our our culture, um, you know, our our quality, right, and all the other things, our our core values. But but on top of that, we're going to have to duplicate it and and train, uh, you know, double that. So when I look at that, that's a big responsibility. And if you don't have great leaders already in place, you're never going to get there. So, so my our, my job as a, as a leader I am today, right? My my, my son Austin is a YP also, and he's a great entrepreneur. You, you got to meet him someday. He's he's a little younger than you, but not too much younger. Uh, but but uh, you know Austin's job is to build leaders, right? And my job is to do the same thing as we grow. But if you if you can't build great leaders, if you don't have leaders on your team that when they see somebody that's 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 excellent, but maybe smarter or better than them, when they see a person like that. When they embrace them and then promote them and say, "Man, this guy's amazing. He's better than me." Right? That's a leader. When you when you see somebody that's that's you, then you know is, is uh, you know uh, it, it has a hard time hiring somebody that might be better than them. Hard time hiring somebody that might surpass them. Right? That's just not a leader. And 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 you're not going to grow as strong if that's the type of leadership you're you're building. Right? And I think you know, I'm sure over this time you've seen that and I see that. Uh, but you know, the growth, growing leaders and you know, building leaders are the most important thing we can do, not just for our companies and our customers, right? But also for for their families. So we're building leaders. We're probably building leaders for communities and families as well, and that's the coolest. Yeah, yeah, I, I love the Brene Brown quote. She says a leader is somebody who sees the potential in another individual and then has the courage uh, and patience to develop that potential. Uh, so you know. Uh, a leader, and it actually starts with yourself, right? You got to see the the potential in yourself to become a leader and have the courage and willingness uh, to develop that potential. Uh, but then take that a step further to your point and be able to, you know, identify and cultivate that potential in other individuals. And I, and I think if you can have that sort of ongoing uh, leadership development where leaders are, are, you know, developing leaders, the old, uh, you know, iron sharpening iron, you can create something pretty magical uh, and, you know, sometimes it involves bringing in outside facilitators or bringing somebody in from the outside who's got talent that can help, you know, level up the team. Uh, they, there's, they, they, there's a saying I read that 
you know, mediocre people don't like being around high achieving people because it makes them look bad. High achieving people don't like being around mediocre people because it's, you know, it's holding them back. And so trying to sort of weed out the mediocre and and continue to upgrade uh, the, the the level of high achievers uh, is, is what will continue to propel any organization or, or team ahead. Absolutely. Yeah. And while you're rolling these franchises, I mean, that, you know, you're, you're, these people are, are direct employees of yours, right? And so now it's a, it's a different, a little bit different animal, but hey, you, you got to make sure that they're, they're living your values. They're living, you know, living your brand. Therefore they, they've got to, they've got to live to build leaders. And, and how you do that in the future is going to, is going to really, de- really determine your success and how far you can go, right? That's right. Um, so tell me about tell me about how many um, how many locations do you operate? Are like our 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 own our own Bayou guys, your, you and your partner, and yes. then uh, how many otherwise? Yeah, so we've got just over two hundred franchisees, franchise locations, franchise owners, uh, and then we've got four uh, operations that we still own and operate uh, ourselves. Uh, we have a, a, a kind of a thesis and, and roadmap to onboard and, and develop some more uh, company owned operations. Uh, but um, I think having a, having a good mix and, and balance of, of franchise zone and, and company owned will be the you know will be the recipe for us uh, on a go forward basis. Absolutely. Okay. So when when you think about uh, when, you, when you think about your strengths and weaknesses and then your partners, like tell tell us where your where your strengths are and where your partners are. Are you guys like exactly the same when you do exactly the same thing, or you know do you guys have different strengths? Tell me tell me about your partner. Yeah. You know, are you, are you still bunnies? Tell me about all that. Yeah. So my business partner and I went to high school together. We were best friends in high school and college, and then now business partners for almost 20 years. Uh, and, uh, I will say we, we definitely have slightly different approaches to, to what we bring to, to the, to the workspace. Uh, he's a little bit more laid back and, and casual in his approach. And I would describe him as kind of a pure visionary entrepreneur. Uh, I'm a little bit more obsessive compulsive and high strung uh, and get wound up on the details. So uh, I'm a little bit more nuts and bolts and and let's, you know, he's like, hey, fire. And then, you know, we'll aim and figure it out. And I'm like, wait a minute, let's make sure we aim first and, and then we can fire. And so I think having that uh, allows us to sort of meet somewhere in the middle, which makes us pretty impactful. If it was just me, uh, I would, you know, drive everyone crazy and stress everyone out, including myself. If it were just him, you know, we might be going in a few many, two different, too many different directions. Uh, so we're able to sort of uh, be a bit of a, uh, you know, yin and yang in, in that regard. And we're still good friends. I think, you know, a lot of people have always been impressed with the fact that we've been able to maintain, maintain our friendship and business uh, uh, partnership. And because you, you hear a lot of, you know, horror stories about families or friends who go into business together. But I always like to say that we've, you know, we've always had a shared long-term vision uh, our shared values have always been in alignment. Uh, we're willing to communicate and, and trust each other. And uh, I think we've got a mutual respect for each other and what each other brings to the organization. Like it's easy for anybody in, in any relationship uh, to, you know, get frustrated or resentful, you know, for one thing or another. Um, and and uh, we've never had hard resentment harbored or anything like that. We could get in an argument about how we're going to do something uh, or, you know, what we're going to do with one particular project. But at the end of the argument, we're like right back to work as if nothing ever happened, uh, you know, and, and we commit to the decisions and, and, and just keep it moving. So uh, it's been a good dynamic. It's been fun because then with your, when you're doing something like that with uh, somebody who's a close friend, you can celebrate the, the victories together. Um, and then if you got a tough, tough go of it, whether it's, you know, economic downturn or COVID, uh, you can have somebody to sort of, you know, uh, be there for you in the, in the, in the, in the downtimes. 
Absolutely. I, I, at high strong, I, I don't see you as high strong, dude. Now, where, where'd that come up? I, you're kind of a laid back guy. You're slowly, I, I, I got to kick you in the butt here to keep you talking. I'm not sure <laughs> how, how high strong comes up a bit when you mentioned, you know, Nick Friedman. But, uh, but no, you're, guess what? You need that. You need a mix of that. I, I, I've been exactly like you. I've been a, I've been a little bit um, probably too aggressive. My vision's been too big, often too big. Um, my my team my team is usually comprised of people that 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 will will challenge me that'll that will you know challenge my thoughts and you know pull me back a little bit and that's that's what we need. Uh, my son my son is much like like uh, your partner. Right? He's pretty chill, laid back, very very uh, strategic thinker. Um, he, he's more of an operations leader and gets gets stuff done and and uh, and a great leader. But I, I, I've been a, a, a much of very much a visionary. He's a visionary in some of the businesses that he's that he's passionate about. sees sees the vision ahead, but overall, um, you know, I, I need him to be the guy that pulls back on me sometimes. And I've got I've got uh, you know 13 different companies, and each one a leader that has a little bit of different different uh, strengths and weaknesses. Um, most of my my leaders uh, are, are strong operationally. Um, some of them have both uh, vision and operational strength, which is hard to find. Um, and 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 uh, most of them though. Um, are, are great operations leaders that, that are passionate about the industry and want to be great at it. Um, and then and then we can hopefully teach them the entrepreneurial side of things, the vision side of it, and, and uh, scaling and all that. But uh, you know you, 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 that that marriage, like you're saying, if, you, if you're both high strong visionaries, yeah, you're a good guy. You'd probably get along, but you, you you run into each other a little too often and step on each other and stuff like that, right? Tell me, tell me, are you guys both married? We are. We actually met our now wives uh, about a week apart at the same location, uh, same same uh, venue in in Tampa, Florida. So uh, we're, we're both married. I've got four kids. He's got two. My second daughter and his da- his youngest uh, grade, same school. Uh, so they get to play together, which is really uh, really fun as well to see and, and observe and be a part of. Well, and you guys being part of the business, you know, working your business. I'm sure you guys married married up, like you like you like you're, you're capable of doing, right? Uh, personalities, you're outgoing to sell that. But I mean, when you when you, it, you know the, the most important thing in life is is who you marry, right? And and do, you know, do you marry somebody that makes you better, and that you can help maybe make better, and they're going to make you better, or do you marry somebody that that pulls you back and that doesn't support your your aggressiveness, your your driving nature of business, right? Um, unfortunately, you know, it doesn't always work out marriage. You said, boy, what a, what, what a challenge it can be in business, in your business life. If you don't have somebody that's like really supportive of, of your, of your life, because as an entrepreneur driving entrepreneur, you are and your partner is, it's not like you're working 35, 40 hour weeks. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like to say, you know, probably the harder, harder, something harder than being an entrepreneur is actually being married to an entrepreneur. Cause then you got to hang on to the coattails or the tiger tail and, and, you know, ride the wave and the the roll the roller coaster up and down a little bit, and and there's you know there's there's some there's some highs and lows as as being part of an entrepreneurial family, no doubt about that. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think I think you hit it on the head. I mean, having having a, a great partner in life is is critical. Having you know good people around you, uh, you become the average of the pr- the the people you hang out with the most. So you know you want to hang out with people that are going to move you forward and and elevate your 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 abilities and and also challenge some of your weaknesses. Uh, and so you're you're absolutely right on that. I I, I used to jokingly tell my wife because I always wanted to play uh, professional sports as a as a uh, and as an adult. 
Uh, obviously, I wasn't blessed with with those skills. Uh, but early on, when she would get uh, frustrated with some of my travel, I said, "Well, you know, I'm like a corporate athlete. Think of me, think of me like a corporate athlete." She goes, "Well, if I wanted to marry an athlete, I would have married an athlete." So to take, uh, you know, scale it back a little bit on your uh, on your travel. So, um, <laughs> so that was kind of that's we we still joke about that. I love I love it. So I, uh, when when you look at um, the future, when you look at let's say five years off and ten years off, you know where do you see your you know, the, the the pace you're on and the pace you can you, you're going to let's say where do you think you can get to five years from now, ten years from now? What what's uh what are your Garrett? I love I love your vision of becoming a, a billion dollar uh, brand, and and that's that's our aspiration as well. I mean it's it's a uh, you know a milestone of 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 I think success, but also as we do that, we're going to be able to make a significant amount of impact and have some fun doing it because we're going to probably have to add some additional revenue streams and, and be creative with how we, you know, maximize the the pro, uh, production productivity of each franchise owner, uh, see them, you know, what's been really fun to the journey to this point is, you know, seeing how many successful, you know, franchise owners we have in our system that are literally millionaires making, you know, amazing money, putting their kids through college, buying houses and, 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 and taking really cool vacations. So the fact that our business idea has become now a platform for people to pursue uh, personal and professional fulfillment has been really, really cool for me as a founder. So, you know, look, we're, we're, we're a $300 million a year business today. So if we get 3X that, 3 to 4X that in the next five years, uh, I think that would be a, an, an awesome uh, uh, achievement. And, you know, we've got some headwinds in the, in the market economy, no doubt about it. But, uh, you know, the rules of the game apply to everybody. So we just got to do better and, and, and keep, uh, keep evolving. Absolutely. And when you think about, um, when you think about the economy, because we, you know, we, we don't know. I mean, I, I, I try to study economics and stuff. I, I'm involved in the last, you know, 10, 15 years politically and what goes on in the country and our states and all that. And, you know, I, I believe that, you know, there are, there is a, there is a crunch in the economy coming. There's a, a slight recession coming, maybe a big one. Um, I, I want to position my business constantly to have great recurring revenues, great recurring customers, kind of a maintenance model in my industry that's stronger than any other maintenance model in my industry, right? That's that's what I fo- that's what we focus on my team. Every business I have is maintenance focused. Your business seems to be kind of the, the same way. I mean, it's, 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 it seems like tough times, you know, in the best times and the toughest times, you're, there's probably going to be a certain amount of uh, opportunity. Um, what are your thoughts on, on how you're positioning yourself in a, in a tougher time? Well, I think uh, number one, we've got a budget for it. Um, we can't be, you know, spending out in front of our skis uh, if if the, the the market demand is not uh, is not calling for it. But then we also have to be uh, keep our eyes and ears open to those opportunities, like you mentioned. Uh, actually, during the the housing market downturn of 0809 is when we added moving services to our brand. So prior to that, we were strictly doing junk removal. And then, uh, you know, we realized, hey, why don't we just expand our pie a little bit to trucks and labor uh, and, and offer moving to, to try to increase our, our, our revenue opportunities. And so I think being able to identify those opportunities and, and strike when they present themselves is going to be uh, uh, important. I think uh, maintaining uh, a level of focus and discipline uh, at the leadership level will be important, both, you know, in, in, in being able to echo the importance of uh, resiliency and grit uh, through the challenging times. Uh, there, there's there's elements of that. Uh, so I think those would be some of the keys to, to keep in mind as, 
as we enter in, you know, unchartered uh, or, or un, unexpected uh, economic turbulence, perhaps uh, this next next couple of months, next couple of years, maybe. So, so one thing you said, and I, you know, I look at everything in my life as, you know, how am I going to make the biggest impact, positive impact in this world in, in in the last, let's say, quarter of my life, or whatever I have left, right? And and so that's that's what I think about every day. You mentioned that, you know, you want to be able to make an impact, and you know that as you grow, you can grow to be a dominant company in the in the country in your space, you can make a great impact in the lives of your teammates and the lives of your customers and otherwise. You got, is there is there stuff that you guys do outside your businesses to create camaraderie and, and you know, that teammates like to help uh, support and things like that? And you, we, you know, we have a foundation that gives back. Do you guys do anything like that? We do. We, we actually started about five years ago, a we call it a two-for-one giving campaign where for every move or junk call we complete, we donate two meals to U.S. Hunger uh, so we've donated over 3 million meals since we launched that program, uh, which has been really uh, uh, powerful and and something that our, our team members really appreciate and, and respect and our franchise owners are passionate about as well. Uh, we launched during COVID uh, where we would offer free moves for survivors of domestic violence because we kept hearing these stories about people who were stuck in quarantine with their abusers. Yeah. And so we're not like, hey, we don't want financial uh, restrictions to be uh, what's preventing them from from getting out. Um, so we still offer that. We've done over, you know over a hundred uh, free moves for for survivors of domestic domestic violence. And then we also have a lot of affiliations locally with like the Goodwill uh, and the Habitat Restore because we're hauling away people's unwanted items. A lot of those items still have uh, residual value, especially for some of those nonprofit organizations. So we'll donate uh, items before we take them to be disposed of or recycled. Uh, and so those are some of our social uh, impact initiatives that uh, have been very aligned with our uh, with our core values and company purpose about making that impact. And so uh, and it's something that you know, our team members and franchise owners are very passionate about. I love it. I love it. You know that uh, domestic moves. That's a I mean that's an awesome idea. You know that's something you're in the business and boy, how tough going to be for somebody when they they have to move out. They got to move out and you can't get out and they don't help them move out right. So yeah. what an awesome, awesome gift that is to those hundred plus people you've done that for. So keep it up. Yeah, that's that's yeah that, that, those have been probably the most touching and, and sort of heart wrenching at the same time. Because sometimes we'll get calls from somebody in an area where we don't have a, a service. And um, so the best we can do is maybe call the, the local authorities or call uh, the domestic violence hotline or what have you um, if we're not able to assist. Uh, but it's it really is scary and unfortunate you know, as as uh, you know, as a father of three daughters myself, uh, I can't uh, I can't fathom you know the notion of of somebody being stuck in a, in a situation with you know an abusive uh, significant other and and not feeling like there's a way out. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And again, those things are. I mean, we found that the our Raybank Group Foundation that we have that that we started about fifteen, maybe seventeen, eighteen years ago now, I guess. You know, we do a lot of great things for the community, and mostly it's for it's for children, elderly, and veterans, but you know the things we do. We we want our teammates to be involved in giving, be involved in in, in the you know uh, uh, labor it takes in many cases to to serve those groups that we're serving. And and the camaraderie you build in your company is is something you know most people don't understand. And I wouldn't have understood it when, I, when we first started building our foundation. The difference it makes in good people that can work for a company that's doing great things that they can be part of, right? There's a lot a lot of our teammates don't have the time or the money to to do the things that they'd like to do. But if you can put, if they can be part of your foundation, with, you know, giving time and talent and seeing the the, the benefit to the community, it, it pays big dividends when it comes to retention of great people. 
you know, you're, you're not going to retain those people that could care less, selfish people. Darn, too bad, right? That's okay. But when you're going to retain the, the selfless people that we want to, to grow our companies. So that's, uh, that's awesome. I love, I love, I love hearing that. And most, most of the people on my, on my podcast, I know ahead of time and I know they're givers. And if, and if you're not a giver, I probably don't watch you on podcasts. So, so I really appreciate that. I mean, and I already knew about your thought, your, you know, what you guys do. I knew, I heard a little bit of what you do already, but awesome stuff. So, so, uh, when you, when you think about uh, in, in your life, okay, what do you get? You're going to work another, what, you're, you're a pub kid still. So another what, 20 years, 15 years, what do you want? How long do you want to do this before the next, the next, uh, you know, hunk, the, the uh, CEO hunk is, uh, it takes your spot and your partner spots. Well, you know, it's, it's an interesting question because, um, when I was younger, I always had this, uh, glamorized view that I was going to make a bunch of money by the time I was call it 40. And then I was just going to put my feet up and, and chill. Uh, well, I'm 41 now, and uh, I, I certainly don't see myself putting my feet up and chilling anytime soon. And I meet folks like yourself who are much older than you, quite frankly, uh, who, who don't who don't stop. Uh, and, and, you know, if you're not, you hear that sort of old adage, if you're not growing, you're dying. And or you hear about somebody who sold their company and, you know, took a, a month or two off and got bored and started a new company or started a foundation or started investing actively. Uh, and so... I think my entrepreneurial energy uh, is going to be something that's always utilized. Uh, you know, maybe it'll be utilized in sort of helping to uh, curate uh, the next uh, evolution of our brand. Or, you know, if we get our brand to a position where we, we put more more folks in place where I'm not as involved in the day to day, I can do some more, uh, you know, uh, serial entrepreneur uh, support uh, initiatives. So I don't see myself ever just kind of putting my feet up and, and chilling completely. Uh, but um and it was a quote, actually, another entrepreneur told me he was in his 80s and was still, you know, very active in, in, in some business ventures. And he just said, you know, entrepreneurs don't retire. And so I said, OK, fine. I, I kind of like that. I'm going to I'm going to stick with it. And, and actually, I saw an interview with the football coach, Alabama football coach, Nick Saban. Uh, and, you know, here's a guy who's won multiple national championships, uh, probably could just ride off into the sunset if he wanted to, but still gets up and prepares every day uh, for, for the next season, next game. And he said that, uh, you know, every day he wakes up, he takes the rearview mirror off. Uh, he's not worrying about what he's accomplished already. And uh, he said that complacency leads to bad decisions and bad decisions lead to bad outcomes. And, uh, you know, if I weren't if I weren't active in something, I would become complacent. And that probably wouldn't result in, in a bad in a good outcome for myself or my family or, or, or the business. Uh, so uh, I don't want to become complacent. So you want to so the thing is this. I believe that the entrepreneurial spirit, the energy of the entrepreneurial spirit inspires others to, to do great things, right? That's what leadership leaders do. They inspire others to do great things. The entrepreneurial spirit, the energy of the entrepreneurial spirit inspires people to do amazing things, right? I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, Bernie Marcus started an organization 12 years ago that, that I was asked to be part of. Um, it, it was jo Job Creators Network, where we were going to fight bad regulations that hurt small businesses. And actually, our mutual friend Shelly, I I, I uh, got a hold of Shelly. Well, we needed somebody from the franchise world to fight crazy Obama and Biden uh, regulations that were going to crush franchises. Back, this is like nine years ago. Okay, Shelly joined our team and represented us along with a few other franchisors to fight the crazy. You know, to basically educate the legislators to stop the craziness of the bills that that Obama wanted to pass. So either way, guess what? Bernie Marcus at the time was 80, 
like I say, two or two years old when I when he, when he recruited me to be one of the leaders of the of the founding in this organization. I, I I was off it for a few years as I ran for governor, and I, I had issues with health in my family. Um, so I, I wasn't part of this for about five years, I guess. I I just joined back to the board again. I got to tell you, Bernie Marcus, now 93, 94 years old, is still inspiring me and people like me every day to go beyond what we think, to make an impact like we never thought we could make, right? Because if, if, if you have energy at, at you know, at, at 40 like you have today, right, you're, you're a guy that's going to inspire people around you every day. And that's, that's cool. Okay, that's impact. When you're 80 years old and you're and you're thinking 20 years ahead constantly, and Bernie's thinking 20 years ahead of 92 or whatever he is. Okay, that's ins- inspiration. That's energy that that translates to great energy to people around him, right? So again, I believe that that energy keeps you young, keeps you vibrant. It, 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 people want to hang out because you get energy instead of ah oh, man, I re- I retired at 40 years old. I can afford to retire at 40 years old. I fish every day. I golf. That's that's great. You know, good for you personally, right? But man, you're not making an impact on the world. It was I think of it as a, as a waste of talent too. You know, I want I want to maximize my potential, my gifts that I've been bestowed uh, that I can you know leverage and, and apply and and to your point inspire. And that example you gave, you know, of Bernie Marcus, so you know, or or even you think of uh, you know Warren Buffett in his 90s, Charlie Munger 99. You know, they're thinking about 20 years out, and they know very well they're probably not going to physically be here that that far out but they want to leave that legacy and that impact uh beyond them 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 being around so that 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 inspires me as well when i see that uh from from that the you know elderly uh and, and selfishly and selfishly my opinion the odds are longer life when you live a life of that type of energy that's well. right that's right you're absolutely right you got more purpose you got more uh more reason to stick around so you and I, so you and I led somewhere best. At four years old, I wanted to retire. I always wanted to be a professional athlete, right? I was a, I was a, a football player, a wrestler, but never didn't go to college, right? So after high school, I was done with my my sports. And now I still I still compete today at goofy things that I can compete at, and uh, and I have fun. But bottom line is this: you think about it, we're blessed. If, if you would if you would have been a professional athlete, or I would have been, right? We would have had that that amazing life. A 10-year career, maybe 15-year career, right? I've got many friends who are professional athletes, right? But at the end of that, they're kind of lost. Very seldom do they have something they're passionate about like they once were in that great sport with you know thousands of people cheering for coming on the field, right? They can't replace that again. For us, we're, we're excited to be great you know, entrepreneurs, hopefully great entrepreneurs, right? Because every day we can live that exciting life that we live and, and you can do it till you're dead, right? How, how can you beat that, right? But these this this athleticism we have as entrepreneurs is is a athleticism you can live the rest of your life, and that's that's pretty cool, right? Yeah. So absolutely. so so don't stop this, man. Keep that energy up. Don't stop. And uh, and I think your your wife, your family is gonna gonna love being around you. Gonna love the inspiration you're you're always gonna be. Your your teammates around you're gonna love it. Your franchisors are gonna love it, right? And life is gonna be a lot of fun, especially if you have the intent like you have of making impact in a great way and everything you do all right so but uh yeah you gotta meet my son sometime another white be over i'm gonna i'm gonna plug you guys together i think i'm gonna sell them. i'm gonna plug you guys together uh, also i'm looking for a bit my first business uh acquisition and paving is going to be tampa i'm meeting with some some companies in tampa in the near future if you know any small paving companies that do commercial you know commercial work think about it and let me know that too but i'm going to be in tampa shortly and i'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna uh partner with a company there uh, it'll be one of our. It'll be our first, most likely. We're looking at Nashville and a couple of the markets right away. But I, I like Tampa a lot. 
Yeah, Tampa's a great market. Happy to happy to show you around when you come down. Absolutely. I've got another buddy of mine too you want to meet. So another good buddy of mine is, is another Ditch Digger CEO. You have to listen to this podcast sometime. Then it's Ed Zeman. Eddie Zeman is a tremendous brain, uh, one of the smart, smartest business guys you'll ever know. Um, he uh, he's in the tra- in the trailer park industry. You know, like call it the trailer park industry. He likes to call it like you know, uh, what does he call it? Uh, modular homes or whatever they call it, right? He's he, he's all he's also uh, in the RB uh, high end RB park business, and he's got a couple right right around Tampa that he's built recently. Um, unbelievably successful guy, one of those modest, coolest guys you ever want to meet. And Eddie moved from uh, from Chicago to Tampa recently. Uh, maybe I, I probably two years ago. Now. He's one of my former mates and a, and a guy you got to meet because he's cool as can be, smart as can be, very down to earth, very uh, unassuming. Okay, but you you get a lot of great because you know he's he's a trailer park guy, just like you're a junk guy and I'm a paving guy. Right? He's basically right. a ditch digger like ditch digger like us with with uh, with a great entrepreneurial mind that that you'll love. So I'll, I'll plug you in with him as well. All right. But uh, well, I I'll tell you what, man, you, you've been awesome. I, I love uh, hearing from you, and, and you know we might you know uh, call you another time, maybe you know a year or two from now, to see what you're up to, if that's okay. Um, on Ditch Digger CEO, but uh, you're you're an inspiration. To anybody that knows you, uh, let, let, let me let me get uh, Chris on for a minute, because what I like to do is at the end, I like to have Chris kind of go over if he's got any questions. I'm one. Chris is my producer and uh, another entrepreneur, and it, and if Chris wants to. Uh, Share with us some of the lessons as he he's learned, some of the nuggets, uh, the, the the Nick nuggets um, of entrepreneurship and success. Yeah, hey Nick, uh, that was awesome, man. You're you're an inspiration and like super cut from the same cloth as as all, all of our guests. Um, first question was it uh, was it McDinton's where you met your wife? No, it was it was Jackson's. Uh, although McDin- McDinton's was the first bar that I went to in Tampa. Uh, but Jackson's was kind of like the, the the place to go out, the only place to go out back in like 08, 09 time frame beyond McMahon. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I'm from Tampa. I went to oh, wow. I went to Eastlake High School, graduated in 03. Oh, nice. My my wife went to uh, Armwood. Uh, she grew up in Sefner and and uh, gra- I graduated in 06. So uh, would, would have been right around the same time as you, maybe a few years behind. <laughs> yeah, Tampa has come a long way. It's It's like a cool place now. It's turned into a boom town. I mean, when we came down in eight, I saw the potential of Tampa. Uh, I describe it as small town comforts, big city amenities, but it's starting to really get some cool big city elements. You know, uh, restaurants, high end uh, 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 venues. Um, obviously, the sports teams have been fun. Doesn't hurt to have Tom Brady for, win a Super Bowl and oh yeah, a couple years. So the Lightning, the Rays, it's it's been fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was sad to sad to see him go. I was like, come on, Tom, play till you're fifty. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's awesome. So um, I'm really interested. So like you guys obviously had a lot of success with your own uh, doing this yourself. What inspired you or what made you want to go down the, the franchise model? I think it was, uh, part of it was, you know, thinking it was going to be a glamorized way to make the the brand grow. Uh, so we sort of had this naive notion of, of how quickly we could franchise it. Um, so a little bit of it was was ignorance. <laughs> a little bit of it was uh, we didn't have uh, the the capital or a management team to go expand it to other markets. And we wanted to grow our brand pretty quickly. And I think those are usually uh, some of the reasons why people will franchise is if they have a, uh, you know, a brand uh, that's important to have a brand, 
uh, for, and if they want to grow it quickly and don't have capital or don't have management leadership resources to deploy, uh, then they'll contemplate franchising because then you can sell the franchises into different uh, territories or, or, or neighborhoods or, or cities or states, and uh, it allows the brand to, to to grow more quickly. And so I still describe us as a you know, 15, 20 year overnight success because uh, it's been a, a long march to to get to where we are today, but uh, that was kind of the reason we went the franchise route. Awesome, awesome. Um, so a, a lot of our other clients are are going the franchise route. It it sounds like uh, Shelley's book, uh, what's it called? Grow smart, risk less. It, it sounds like that had a huge impact on you. But you, it sounds like you read it after the fact. How how would how would you you know start franchising differently? you started it so I, I would have definitely read that book for starters um, i would have probably had a second location uh that was corporately operated before we started franchising we we started franchising after just having the one successful location and uh we were probably trying to build the plane mid-flight at that point when we started franchising because we didn't have all the the systems and know-how figured out we were just kind of like hey let's let's go um, and so we probably would have had a second proven location and then taken that and, and, and look to, uh, you know, replicate that into the franchise model. Pulse, pulse. And then, uh, I know, you know, we, we've talked to other uh, folks who've gone down the franchise route and they all have like very specific ways that they, uh, want to choose who would be like a good franchiser. Like, even if someone comes like, Hey, I got the money they're like, eh. I don't know if you fit. Do you, do you have any like specific? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We we've got uh, I think I would say both qualitative and quantitative criteria. So quantitatively, you've got to have the right amount of money. You've got to have the right uh, uh, credit, you know, and and liquidity and access to capital to go out and build the business. Qualitatively, you've got to have the right value set, uh, the right proven track record of of being able to lead a team. Because this, this our business model is not a simple model to run. It's not like it's, you know, a four wall restaurant where you're just, you know, the customers and employees are coming to you. Uh, we're hiring, you know, primarily 18 to 25, 30 year olds uh, to go out on these big giant trucks and drive around the the, the community and go into people's homes and, and move their personal belongings from point A to point B. So there's a lot of variability, a lot of margin for error. So we just try to weed out somebody that's looking for something that's going to be a get rich quick opportunity versus somebody that's willing to roll up their sleeves and, and, follow the system and, and live the values and, and build a, a, a meaningful, successful business. That's smart. Is there like a specific question you ask them to, to weed them out? That's why I got uh, We have a, a kind of a, a, what we call a discovery process that our franchise development team runs. And I'm a little bit disconnected from it, but they, uh, during that process, they'll, they'll have, have uh, both, you know, uh, a form forms to be filled out as well as uh, uh, interview style uh, conversations where where we'll ask about kind of their goals, why they want to do this business, uh, which of our core values resonates most with them, and why. Um, you know, examples where they've uh, ha had had a challenge and had to exhibit resilience or grit to overcome it. So we try to ask those sorts of questions to identify somebody how serious somebody is uh, about about you know performing in this business. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I can, I can guess that's probably one of the most important parts of the entire business is making sure we It is. I mean, it, you know, a lot of people ask me, well, which market is most successful? And a lot of it is really dependent on the franchise owner. I mean, we have a, a franchise owner in Kalamazoo, Michigan, uh, who did over 4 million in revenue, over a million in profit, 
Uh, and you know, that's not a major metropolitan market. I mean, it's a, it's a great, great town, great city. Uh, but he's, he's just absolutely blowing it out the water there. Um, and then, you know, we might have a franchise owner in a major metropolitan market that maybe isn't, isn't producing those kind of numbers or maybe struggling to get the, the revenue up. So a lot of it really is dependent on the person that's willing to execute the playbook. Awesome. Awesome. I, I have a couple more questions before you get into what we are okay, but uh, what, what, what's, what's the franchise cost of, in an average market? Uh, our franchise fee today is 60,000, uh, 60,000 bucks. Uh, that gets them a territory size of three to 400,000 people. We do it based on zip codes. Uh, and then we have some ongoing uh, fees that we charge a 7% uh, royalty, a 2% brand development fund, uh, which goes towards marketing. And then we also operate a call center uh, on behalf of the franchise owners as well. Awesome. You, you know, you're, and you're not afraid to be transparent with that stuff, right? That's correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You can share all that. It's, it's all public information. That's yep. awesome. But so three or four thousand, three or four thousand people, the radius could change that. It could be a, a tight radius or it could be a very big radius, right? Absolutely. And we do have some franchises that'll buy more than one ter zone is what we call it to have a larger territory. Uh, but uh, we also try to uh, examine the demographics of the household incomes and things of that nature to try to make the, the zones relatively consistent in terms of potential. What's your what's your average revenue? What do you expect the average? Revenue? I know it's going to be kind of movie target, but you know, let's say five years after somebody buys a franchise, what what is your expected revenues you'd like to see them at? Yeah, well, today our average franchisee revenue is a little over one and a half million per year. Um, we've got uh, you know some that are doing over ten million and some that are just doing a couple hundred thousand. So it's a pretty wide range. Uh, I think getting our ultimate goal in the next five years, to be honest with you, is we want to see an average of uh, $6 per population for moving, $3 per population for junk. You know, that's roughly $3 million per per territory uh, uh, per year is, is what we want to try to try to get to on average. That's, that's a good way to look at it. Um, and then uh, um, quantitatively, I mean, so, so they, have to, they have to have enough net worth to be able to support the startup of the business and maybe, you know, um, you know, maybe a, a, a first year that's not that profitable or whatever. I mean, it, it's kind of how you look at it. Exactly. Yeah. We, they've got to have a, a minimum liquidity requirement, a minimum uh, access to capital. So then when they run their pro forma, which we also review, uh, we can see that, if, you know, if they're not paying themselves, you know, they've still got enough personal money set aside to live while the business is ramping up and, and working towards profitability. Awesome. Awesome. Are there any markets in the country that you, you stay away from when it comes to you look at no, but well, I, I can tell you that California is not the greatest uh, uh, state to, or not the easy. I shouldn't say greatest, not the easiest state to operate in because of all the different regulations and and costs and and so on and so forth. Uh, some other uh, markets up in the Northeast, some some similar challenges and and headwinds, uh, but we haven't completely avoided any markets uh, up to this day. So we got franchises in in all of those areas, and and you know we the franchise owners that are willing to you know brave those challenges it's not like the other companies in those markets don't have to brave them so it's everybody's got the same sort of uh uh conditions on the playing field they've just got to do it better than everybody else sure yeah awesome chris you want to go into uh secret yeah. success there for nick definitely um nick i think uh after this interview you definitely live up to the moniker the effortless entrepreneur I was just thinking, I was like, 
Man, he, he makes this sound so effortless. Dude, do you want to tell us about your book? Uh, yeah, so we were actually at a, uh, Gary, we were at an EO conference, Entrepreneurs Organization, and, and Vern Harnish, I don't know if you're familiar with his his talks, but he, I, I, he was- I'm listening to Vern, Vern, yeah. Vern was speaking and said, you know, everybody in this audience should write a book. He goes, anybody who's ever written a book always says they wish they did it 10 years earlier. Well, this was actually about 10 years ago. So 10 years ago, we walked away from that speech and said, I guess we better write this book uh, now, not later. And we said, what, what is it we wish we knew in high school or college that uh, maybe we know now being, you know, in our 20s at the time, uh, you know, having started a business. So uh, we wrote a book. Uh, it's called Effortless Entrepreneur, which is kind of an oxymoron because, you know, that takes a lot of effort to, to be successful. But uh, we, we um, I guess we were maybe trying to be the next Tim Ferriss or four hour work week, but it didn't quite work out that way. But but it did. I think it, what it does indicate is, you know, when you look at people that are really passionate and or in the flow of what they're doing, whether it's an athlete or an artist, uh, there's a lot of hard work that went into their skill and, and performance development, but it appears effortless to the outside observer. Uh, and so I think that's what is our thought is, you know, if you want to yeah. be an entrepreneur, what you're doing can appear effortless to the outside. And, and you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get. But but to the outside eye, it's just like, you know, it, it looks like you didn't you weren't trying that hard. And and I think that's the uh, the idea there behind that book. So I reread it recently and I would say about 95 percent of it is still relevant and accurate. I wanted to see like, hey, is this sort of a evergreen concept or was this a yeah. you know, early 2000s uh uh, or your 2000 teens uh, style book, but it, it was still uh, still relevant. What do you about this? So Nick, when you think about yourselves, and, and I, I, I feel like I, I know your your uh, personality, but it's kind of similar. It, it is, but it's been effortless for me because I love what I do. If you love what you do and you're passionate about your business, no matter what it is, it's kind of effortless, right? I mean, yeah, you're going to have issues, you're going to have challenges, right? But it's effortless when it comes to you're, you're going to wake up with energy every day, right? You know what you got to, you got, you got these things to get done today and you're going to have fun doing it. Hopefully most right. things are going to be fun. If, if, you, if you go at everything with a with, with an abundance of energy and passion, uh, and positivity, right? It, it's, it kind of is effortless really, right? I mean, you're going to have issues and challenges, but overall, it's not like, uh, you know, these, most people have to work a job, work for somebody that they're maybe not happy to work for, right? I mean, it, it, it is what it is. I want to read this book now because I now that now knowing you, um, it is what it is, man. It's effortless entrepreneurship that you're about. And I love it. Awesome. Appreciate it. Yeah. I look forward to your feedback on that one. Cool. Well, hey, thanks a lot, man. Really appreciate it. Uh, okay. Uh, what else do you got for us? Did I interrupt again? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll just uh, run through them real quick. Um, yeah, Nick, this is great, man. I, I could have written a hundred these, uh, takeaways, but I'll whittle it down to, to five or six. Um, I, I love that you guys, uh, you routed all your complaint calls to your cell phone numbers so you could easily fire yourself. I think that's a, that's a great uh, startup hack right there. Uh, the the E-Myth Revisited, that, I think our last like three out of five guests have all mentioned that as like, you know, a, a turning point in their success. So uh, that's a book uh, I definitely need to revisit. And, and you said document how you do everything. Yeah, we and we actually got Michael Gerber, the author of that book, to write the foreword uh, for our book, Effortless Entrepreneur, uh, because we, you know, we reached out to him. I actually kind of stalked him at a conference where he was speaking and uh, uh, got him, you know, to 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 speak to me and have a coffee with me. And I told him how much he had inspired and influenced us, which at the time maybe we only had three, you know, three dozen franchises or maybe not even, uh, but we were we were well on our way on our journey and uh and so uh yeah that that book i think is is a must read for anybody getting into entrepreneurship well 
Uh, it's not what's on the walls is in the core values. It's what's in the halls. Um, I, I love your saying so, um, to achieve like a good working environment and success. It's the right balance of Sesame street and wall street. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can kind of fit that, that gives you that visual, right? Like you see the, like, everybody's happy, everybody's nice, but then you also see the, Hey, we're banging the phones. We're closing deals. We're, you know, breaking necks and cashing checks. You know, you've got to, you can't have too much in, in either direction. You've got to have that, 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 that delicate balance of both. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. I've, I've never heard it, uh, said so succinctly. Uh, the best leader builds other leaders. Um, you become the average of the five people you hang out with most and complacency leads to bad decisions with, which leads to bad outcomes. Where, where can our audience find out more about you? My friend? Uh, probably the easiest way is I, I created a personal website, nickfriedman.com at nick F R I E D M A N.com. It's got my contact info. It's got my social media, uh, handles. It's got links to our company, college hunks website, links to my book. Uh, so that would be definitely be the best way to connect. Awesome. All right. Hey, Nick, you're awesome. There's one, a couple, one couple things I take away from this too. And one thing I like to is repeat referral and reputation, right? The three, three R's for you. Three really, what, one more R for me, and it's, you know, very similar is, is recurring, right? Re recurring revenues means that you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're building raving customers most likely when they keep coming back and they, and they, when they think of moving and they think of junk and they think of you, right? Hopefully they're thinking of me the same way in pavements and parking lots and things that we do. And really, that's that's the value. That's I look at everything as enterprise value in a good way. If you if, if you if you're always building enterprise value in your business, your franchisees, yourself as a franchisor, myself and our businesses, right? Think good things are happening. Customers are coming back. Your your teammates are happy. Your teammates are performing at a high level because they love what they do, right? So so you know, enterprise values. I think I think about every day, and I want my leaders to think about every day as we grow our businesses. But it does not happen unless we create recurring revenues and repeat referral reputation is all about that. So I love it. Uh, your, your value of your business will always be strong and your and your and your franchisees as well if they think about those three things that you mentioned. So um, you're you're a sharp young guy and I'm 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 proud to call you a friend. I'm gonna come up and look, I'm looking for you in Tampa when I come up there. And uh, I, I appreciate you a lot. You're you're gonna be an inspiration to everybody you meet and anybody that works with you. And uh, you're what you're what the great American uh, dream is about. So th thanks for all you do. Thanks, guys. I, re I really appreciate it. This is a lot of fun. So until next time, come back and, and, and see the next one. Dish to your CEO. We're going to have somebody hopefully as good as this guy next time. God bless you all. And thanks for being here. If you enjoy this show, please share with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, ditchdiggerceo.com, for show notes, links, video clips, and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at ditchdiggerceo.
watched them as they left to 